Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is January the 25th, 2017. This is episode 1938 of the Survival Podcast. And it's a Wednesday. You know what happens on Wednesdays 99% of the time. Anyway, we have an interview with a special guest. Today's show I'm really jazzed up and excited about. I have uh, John Berger uh, will be on with us in just a bit. Uh, John is a really cool guy, dynamic business professional, I'll tell you that definitely. Um, and what he's doing today is he's working with CoolBot. CoolBot is something I've told you about a couple times on the air. Uh, they have sent me one of their controllers, and I will be building a walk-in cooler with it uh, later this year. We get some other projects out of the way. Uh, John is going to be on today to talk to us about that. What is the CoolBot? How does it work? How can you benefit from it? I think this is an incredibly innovative product. I really do. It's um, And it's it's not some newfangled thing that just showed up yesterday, and we're not sure if it'll work or not. Uh, since 2006, uh, CoolBots have been deployed, 35,000 of them throughout the world. 35,000 CoolBots are out there right now keeping something somewhere cool. And uh, you don't stay in business and sell that many of something if you're not doing it right. So I have a lot of confidence in this product, though I haven't done my build yet. And I think it's something that can really help homesteaders. It can help you guys out there that are doing production uh, and producing more more product than you can keep in you know a couple of refrigerators in your garage or what have you. And the big thing this thing does is you, you build walk-in coolers, but you think, well, I can just buy a walk-in cooler. It saves you thousands of dollars, <laughs> absolutely thousands of dollars. And some people need two or three walk-in coolers. So you're, you're talking some people in that situation might might cut their cost by ten grand. Uh, yes, please. That's, I mean, and it's something that since you build it, uh, it doesn't have a lot of moving parts. It's pretty much got an air conditioner and, and the controller. And that means that you, it's something you can fix if it breaks. You either replace the controller or you replace the air conditioner. If either one of them are under warranty, it doesn't cost nothing. So it's definitely something a lot of you people like wrote me about putting in a root cellar and it just ain't in the cards for you. It, it, this is this is a great option, and it's extremely energy efficient if you build the way they tell you to. Uh, John will be on the air with us in a bit to talk about all of that and more. Before we get into that, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Bob Wells Nursery has become my go-to for fruit trees, nut trees, and hard-to-find edibles. Their customer service is second to none, and they even provide a 10% discount for all MSB members. Check them out at bobwellsnursery.com today. For years now, I've been telling you to eat what you store and store what you eat. But storing food is only half of food security. The other half is knowing what to do with it. Chef Keith Snow of Harvest Eating will teach you to store food and how to use that stored food in amazing, delicious recipes in his new online course called Food Storage Feast. It features dozens of exclusive recipe videos, all built around long-term storage food that will help you integrate food security into your everyday life. Go to harvesteating.com forward slash FSF to get a free sneak preview of the Food Storage Feast, especially for TSP listeners. Our TSP Business Directory supporter of the day is a company called Home & Timber. They specialize in American-made hardwood furniture. They offer beautiful plank-top tables that prove rustic doesn't have to mean old and unfinished. Check them out at homeandtimber.com or through the search feature at tspbiz.com. Next up, let's take a look at the year that was the episode. This was... Uh, a hard one, once again, for me to, uh, to decide what I wanted to do. Uh, which, you know, which particular, uh, uh, 
article, I guess, that mini article that uh, Alex wrote that I wanted to uh, read because they're all things that are really interesting. Uh, the one I'm going to read is probably the least important historically, but to me one of the more interesting. Uh, that will be Radio Terror Panics the Nation. The Martians have landed. Uh, we have Peace in Our Time and the Night of Broken Glass. Of course, all of this is stuff that occurred in 1938 because the episode's 1938. Notable births this year, Donald Kant living, one of the biggest hitters in computer science. Ted Turner living, founder of CNN and husband of Jane Fonda until 2001. Jerry Brown living, governor of California. His girlfriend Linda Ronstadt called him Governor Moonbeam. Linda Ronfat, huh? Yeah, as you can tell, I'm not a fan of her. And in entertainment, Johnny Paycheck, best known for singing Take This Job and Shove It. Not living. I like Johnny. Natalie Wood, she was the cute girl in the old Miracle on 34th Street. And Maria in West Side Story. John Voight, living. National Treasure 2 and the TV show 24 and the father of Angelina Jolie. Don Wells, living. Mary Ann of Gilligan's Island. Christopher Lloyd, living. Doc Brown in Back to the Future and Uncle Fester in the Addams Family. And in other news, Hitler seizes the holy lance that pierced Jesus. Supposedly, different churches claim that they had to have the holy object. The Toll House chocolate chip cookie is invented. Howard Hughes breaks the around-the-world speed record. He completes his flight in three days, 19 hours, and 17 minutes in this year. The world is getting smaller starting now, I guess. Anyway, radio terror panics the nation. The Martians have landed. On the Sunday night prior to Halloween, Mercury Theater presents War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells. It begins with an introductory narration by Orson Welles, followed by dance music as if it's a normal broadcast. The music fades in and out. A series of news flashes report strange lights from planet Mars, as if a giant gun has been shot toward Earth. Then a reporter on the scene describes a crash of a huge cylinder on a farm near Groves Mill, New Jersey. There is a humming sound, and the cylinder opens. A strange beast emerges. It is indestructible, shouts the reporter. He then proceeds to describe it. Something is happening. A beam of light. You can hear shouts in the background, and then a long silence. Ladies and gentlemen, we seem to be having technical difficulties. Yes, they are. The switchboards at AT&T light up. People are crying and screaming as telephone operators try to calm callers. If anyone had a lick of sense, they would have realized that everything was happening too quickly to be real. Yet one in 12 listeners believed it was real. The next day, newspaper headlines read, Radio Play uh, Terrifies Nation. Actually, the newspaper was pointing out the, unreli the unreliability of their competitor, Radio News. Luckily, the newspaper spelled Orson Welles' name correctly. The young man is now famous. Yes. Okay, I'm struggling to get through these today. I guess I'm a little tongue-tied, but let's take a look at Alex's Shrug's take on this. A year prior, the FCC commissioner had pointed to the potential radio, the potential of radio to terrorize the public and give children nightmares. When I was a kid living in Los Angeles area, I was fascinated when the movie War of the World starring Gene Barry came on TV. The movie centered the story on Los Angeles, not New Jersey. They named places I knew, so when the TV said the Martians were topping the hills, I could see those hills from my front yard. I ran out to look. Okay, okay, I was just a kid, and I already knew it wasn't really happening, but it still felt compelled to look. The reason I chose this one is it made me think of a made-for-TV movie that was done in exactly this format that I remember as a kid 
1983. The movie was called Special Bulletin. And those of you as old as me or older, you might remember it. The concept was that these people had a nuclear bomb and they were threatened to detonate it. It was on a boat in a harbor. And it was done just like this. It was shot with video, video you know, it was shot with, uh, like videotape instead of, uh, instead of film. So it looked like a live broadcast. And they had to put disclaimers every so often that said, this is a, you know, simulation. This isn't real, that type of thing. And even with that, as you watched it, you kind of felt like it was happening. It, it was, it was done in that way that made you feel like it was ongoing right now. And it, It used real names of real places and things like that. And, and that really kind of drove it home. And I believe, if I remember right, we found it on the TV when it was already in progress. And it, I think it was a couple minutes of like, wow, is it, what's going on? And then, oh, oh, okay. And then I remember watching it. And this is back in the days when you changed the, uh, the channel with a dial on the TV, for, for those of you that aren't old enough to remember that. Anyway, um, I don't know if that still exists somewhere. I did find the Wikipedia page on it. I didn't really look for it, uh, but I put a link to the Wikipedia page about that. It might be an interesting one to watch, and because uh, it, it would it would be more in line with what you know than going back to this time of Orson Welles, and you might better understand how people actually might think that Martians were landing and all kinds of hell was breaking loose because a trusted source was giving it to them. Could we call it fake news? Well, it was actually theater, but most fake news is theater. Hey, folks, I just want to say, any of you that are or ever have been an MSB or Member Support Brigade member of the Survival Podcast, I really appreciate you. Without you, I could not bring this show to you Monday through Friday, five days a week. You are the primary means by which we're able to deliver this programming and to live the lives that allow us to teach the things we do here at the Survival Podcast. But, of course, you know me. I'm not about charity. This is not some kind of membership like on uh, public broadcasting where we send you a $4 tote bag in return for a $100 uh, donation and call it a donation. This is a value-for-value value exchange. You'll get discounts to over 60 companies. You'll get a lot of other great content that's available nowhere else. And you'll get every episode of the Survival Podcast that's ever been produced in convenient zip files. You can download them all. You can learn more by going to the survivalpodcast.com and clicking on Members. Scroll to the bottom to see our different methods of payment, and we'd love to have you supporting our show. It comes out to about 18.3 cents an episode. Anyway, with that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. It's time to introduce... My special guest, uh, John Berger from Coolbot. John, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thank you, Jack. Excited to be here. Appreciate it. Hey, man, I'm glad to have you with us. Let's uh, let's start out with uh, getting you introduced to the audience. You've never been on the air before, so they don't know who you are. They don't know who John is. So take us back to, like, John's in high school picking his nose in study hall or, or right. passing yeah. a letter to a girl or something and trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life, you know. And, and, and how do you end up from that person to the person that's now working with CoolBot today? Sure. That's, you know, I didn't even know you had private eyes back in the uh, 80s. And, of course, I'm talking about the 1880s when I was in high school. Um, yeah. Okay. Grew up in Los Angeles. Do not hold that against me. Um, you know, kind of uh, went to college out in uh, in California there and Cal State Northridge and then decided, oh, I'm going to go try to be smart and get a graduate degree and ended up at, at Pepperdine and uh, had got a job kind of by accident in security and automation, you know, the big ADT type of companies of the world and have just spent most of my uh, most of my adult career either for some reason moving progressively west as the career hopefully went the right direction um, and uh, woke up one day. I was in Arizona. 
and then I was in Las Vegas and just moving around for work. And then, uh, you know, I ended up in Dallas. I've never been happier uh, and had, you know, been looking to make a change and just do something different in some things that were a little more geared to, uh, you know, something you know, that had, that contributed from a cultural and global standpoint. And uh, I love the whole sustainable living. And I found this project. You and I are talking. Very cool, man. So let's talk about the, the folks that you're you're with now, this thing called Coolbot. I've, I've heard about this for uh, a long time. It's one of those things I was always going to do. And then you guys reached out to me, and you, you were kind enough to, uh, to to gift me with a Coolbot controller. Uh, but I found out this thing's been around since like 2006, and there's like 35,000 of them been sold or something like that. What, what's the origination? How did this, this come to be? Yeah, a great story. And actually, uh, was the, uh, the origin of me saying, Hey, I want to do that because the story is so cool. And again, remember where I'm from. You know, I don't know anything about, uh, you know, other than being a city kid and taking out the garbage and, and painting the house. I didn't have any background with farming or uh, agriculture, sustainable living, permaculture. So, uh, I kind of stumbled across the story in this company. The Coolbot was invented in 2006. No surprise, uh, by a farmer, a man named Ron Kosla. Brilliant guy. He's working what's called CSA or community supported agriculture, you know, pulling his life out of the ground a few cents at a time uh, and just breaking his back and doing amazing things. A very creative guy and very resourceful, as you know, as well as I do. Homesteaders and farmers usually are. Uh, and he, he finds out one day that uh, not only is it a global problem of post-harvest loss to where the weather and humidity and bad storage eats up 10 to 15 percent of your crop, but it's becoming his problem day to day, too. And he goes out and he looks at a used commercial cooler, right? And uh, for a used one, I think they were back then, 2006, talking eight or nine thousand dollars. And he's like, "Hey, that's just gonna break my back. I can't do it." So he calls a friend at uh, Cornell University uh, from college, who's an engineer, and he says, "Listen, I've been playing with an air conditioner. I know the engine in there can get the room colder. I think I can build it. I've just got to outsmart this thing so it doesn't freeze up or burn up the motor. Can you help me?" And about a year later, there was the first generation Coolbot out on the shelf, um, and Ron was saving his crop, and then he started helping some friends save their crops, and then somebody walked in and said, hey, if it'll keep my cucumbers cold, I bet it'll work for beer. <laughs> and then somebody said, you know, I bet this thing will help me in my cheese cave and my wine cellar, and then somebody, believe it or not, came along and said, hey, you know what? I run a mortuary, and we're still a business, and I need cold storage, but I don't need this big expensive thing that freezes. I just need an affordable solution, and pretty soon it just turned into a just a rampant business by word of mouth with this great you know following and and you know farmers from all over the world 60 countries have been buying it and then about a year ago uh, Ron decided to take a seat on the advisory board because he realized the global impact and uh, the, the potential of the Coolbot because it's such a game changer from a cost and efficiency perspective and what it enables folks to do uh, and two gentlemen came in and uh, invested some money and are now taking the company to where it can afford to do some marketing and spread the word. And and that's why even though we've done 35,000 units since inception, this last year alone was close to 8,000 units. So, you know, just sprinkle a little marketing dust, a little word of mouth, people like the, the famous Jack Spirico shouting out for us. And, you know, pretty soon there's all, <laughs> there's a lot more cool bots flying off the shelves and going to the four corners of the world than, than there were a couple of years ago. So it's pretty exciting. 
So, so part of getting a product out is for, for the market that you're, you're going to to actually understand how it functions because that gives them confidence in making the purchase. And I mean, honestly, I, I look at doing this. I, I don't take this the wrong way. I really appreciate the free cool boxes. Get me off my butt and get me to do this. But, you know, I'm going to make a, a, a much larger investment in the materials than I am in, you know, if I would have bought the, the controller. So, What makes this controller work? How does it function so that it can it can do you know what it what the air conditioner otherwise could not do? Sure. And uh, my my explanation and please again keep in mind not a technical guy and I actually figured it out in a few minutes which is I don't want to use the word idiot proofing but I'm doing it. So yeah, what the Coolbot does, how it functions, it basically fools the air conditioner uh, into thinking it's warmer than it is. So what you do is you would be connecting a heat sensor to the heat coil inside the air conditioner, and on a window unit, it's very simple. It's just a matter of twisting it together with like a twist tie or a little bit of foil. The CoolBot sends an artificial heat signal to that, so the air conditioner would continue to blow colder and colder air. And at the same time, we have a fin sensor in the CoolBot that you would poke just into the fins of the air conditioning unit itself. It's not, again, no hard wiring, no welding. It's just in there to sense frost. And the reason this works is because those window air air conditioning units or those mini-split units traditionally would get frost on the fins or the air conditioner would just keep trying to blow and blow cold air and it would burn up the motor. So it was kind of stuck around 60 degrees before that imbalance kicked in and made them ineffective. Well, between the CoolBot providing the heat signal and then sensing the frost and cycling back and forth, it's got the air conditioner in a harmonic balance to where it's spewing out much colder air, not frosting, not overworking the engine, and it's cycling only about 15 to 20% as much of the time. So it's kind of sprinting and shoot and, and generating colder air as opposed to kind of just relying on the horsepower of cranking out, cranking out, cranking out, and causing that inherent freeze-up or burn-up issue. Um, and because the air conditioner is working less intensively, they tend to last a little bit longer, which was not an original design, but definitely a beneficial byproduct of the cool bot. That, that's awesome, man. So as, as a, a person that's you know, going to use this as your client, what is probably the greatest functional feature of the cool bot? Yeah, the greatest functional feature is one, I, I would just say the, the ability to be, it's a few things. It's actually a combination of one, it's got the, the flexibility to use it on, in multiple spaces and multiple configurations and it's, it's adjustable. So whether you're doing, you're hanging your deer or you're making your cheese, you're going to be able to suffice. The fact that it's saving you energy on an ongoing basis, probably 40 to 43% on average, less than a traditional cooler, huge. But I think the most important thing is this, this being able to, sustain your family or grow your business by doing a cooler that's in the two to three thousand dollar range and a very robust one at that um, versus seven eight thousand dollars of an outlay on expenditure and then having expensive repair technicians because you know coolbots are pretty much just bulletproof and those window acs because they're being managed intelligently by the coolbot are much more durable where if you have a commercial cooler and you know this because you you've, you've got experience with some of these bigger machineries and things that you've seen it, it, it that when that thing goes down you're talking 300 bucks for the trip of the repair technician you're talking you know significant downtime it's not something that you can just go out and pr- you know troubleshoot yourself so uh, I think just the simplicity, the functionality, and the flexibility in making it available to pretty much everybody who has that cold storage needs the greatest aspect of the device. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've been talking about this thing a bit on the air since you guys sent me my unit. And, and one of the things that I'd pointed out is 
what you can do with this, you, you just physically cannot, financially cannot, technically cannot do with a, with a, a commercial walk-in cooler, it, is once you build it and you, you set that air conditioner, and I just told a story recently on the air about air conditioners for, uh, you know, window air conditioners built into a wall. Uh, I used to work in the cable TV industry, and we had a head mm -hmm. end where that air conditioner went down, and we had to basically sawzall the whole wall apart to, mm -hmm. to get it out. So my advice was when you build this, Build it so that you can easily, when necessary, swap the air conditioner out. And my other thought was, if you're going to have thousands of dollars worth of food in there, well, these air conditioners, especially like if you watch and you get them on a sale, you're talking a couple hundred bucks. Right. Buy two of the same unit, set one on the floor. If that <laughs> air conditioner goes out, it's, it's a 10-minute job to yeah. be back up and running. And I don't know of any way, let's say, when your compressor goes out in your $10,000 walk-in cooler to get that thing up and running in, in 10 minutes. I, I just don't know of a way to do it, and it's not logistically feasible that you would have, you know, even all of the, like, let's say, the, the top 50% most common parts that would break sitting on the shelf right, waiting to swap them out. And if you build something yourself, then you know how it works. Right. That means when it breaks, you know what's wrong, and you can freaking fix it. Yeah, it, you're you're dead on. You actually should be filling out an application for my job as we speak. If you're not, you're missing out because the, you know, as the VP of Sales and Marketing, I'll talk to folks and they'll say, "Hey, you know, okay, I see the savings, I see the simplicity. There's some benefits, which we'll talk about a little later in the show." And they're like, "What's my worst case scenario?" I'm like, "Worst case scenario, the average Coolbot build from a customer, and we do pretty extensive studies, is an eight by eight, maybe seven eight foot." Um, you know, cold room. Um, so you can use a 10, 12,000 BTU air conditioner, probably get a good deal on that in the $300 range. The worst case scenario is that thing goes out and you just run down to Home Depot and replace it and you're not out, uh, you know, a ton of money. You're not out any time. There's no spoilage. There's no post harvest loss. Now, again, back to the point that we're making the things last longer. It's going to be very rare if you buy it new, but we have folks that get up and running, pull an air conditioner out of the garage. As long as it's got a digital display and it's got the right kind of brand, it's going to fire up. So, you know, the worst case scenario is cheaper than the absolute scratching of the service on a breakdown on a commercial system. And you're right. If you put it together and you take a wet cloth and wipe the fins down on the, uh, on the air conditioner, that's pretty much the extent of your maintenance, you know? So <laughs> it's a pretty big advantage. And again, you know, I, I think this is part of the reason I'm in this position is they're like, look, if this guy can hook one up, I mean, that's the whole marketing ploy. They kind of point at me and they go, Hey, that kid, that kid from Van Nuys hooked one up, right? Yeah. yeah so yeah. it's pretty impressive um, that, 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 that's the case. So you're, you're spot on with that analysis and most people don't go to that but from a product durability replacement protecting the customer's interest perspective that's really where your analysis should start so kudos for going there it saves me a saves me from having to do it but perfect perfect analysis cool so there's i've seen a lot of uses for the cool bot brewing beer making cheese uh, preserving tropical flowers right right how have you seen the cool bot used in like let's say prepping or sustainable living communities Yeah. So, and that's, there's a little bit more story to that because I actually uh, was a fan of your show before like even reaching out. Right. And a part of that was because of my education and not really understanding sustainable living and the homesteading and prepping culture. So 
I wasn't putting the two and two together. You know, I come in and the company's like, okay, we're agriculture, we're hunting, we're this. And then as I kind of gained exposure and I listen to your show, I'm like, wait a minute, this, you know, what Jack's crew is talking about is really all these things wrapped up into one and building a skill set. So, um, I started like finding clients that were like, maybe I was classifying in my mind, oh, this guy's a hunter. Oh, this, you know, this gal's a florist and, you know, these people are running a farm and they're really not. They're really, traditional homesteaders they're you know they have a, a prepping skill set so kind of coming on board and seeing those things and going wait a minute if somebody's hunting and then they have a root cellar and they're talking about seed preservation and uh you know these different things that kind of build that you know that that plethora of the skill set which makes for a true homesteader prepper i'm like hey it's really kind of a different it's its own channel it's just a combination of all the different uses so um, I, I've seen so much of it, and I, I I was listening to a show last week, which was interesting because you made a point about um, who's like who. What's the face of the homesteader and the prepper? And quite honestly, you were right. A, a few times that I've seen, it's the matriarch of the family that like leads the effort to go into it, right? Yeah. And, and they are quite often more multifaceted with doing things that are from the homesteading phase. So, you know, a long-winded way of saying, you know, th- those uses are, it's a combination of everything combined with the skill set to make them all sustainable, right? And I see that more and more with the CoolBot. I think it's always been there. I think it's just an educational process for us of learning and defining what that channel is, um, which has been awesome uh, the last six months for me. And I've been listening to the show quite a bit. But it's it's really become something we talk about weekly now in our meetings where before uh, it was just something we didn't quite understand, honestly, as a company. Um, so, yeah, it, it's kind of a combination of all those things and how they're being used. And then, you know, the traditional prepping and disaster, uh, you know, preparedness and those mindsets come into it. And it becomes like it's kind of like we're reading a book and getting to then going, oh, OK, I get it. I get it. But, you know, the elements were there all along. Yeah, I mean, definitely, because, I, you know, I look at it like so if, if you know, I run a small farm here. And definitely when we get our, our system up and running, we'll probably not be stacking all of our eggs in refrigerators anymore because it'll be actually a lot nicer for us and a lot easier to control uh, inventory management because obviously we sell our oldest eggs first, right? I mean, that's just any store does yeah. that. Sure. But that's one thing. And honestly, I don't – you know, I could build a friggin' Right now, we do everything out of two refrigerators, so I don't mm-hmm. need a walk-in cooler for that. But when I look at the totality of it and all the stuff I do with fermented foods, aging meats, my wife mm-hmm. wants to get into making cheese. You know, I got a couple deer this year, and you know, I did what I always did. I parted them out, put them in a cooler, brought them home, threw them in a tub in the refrigerator until I got a chance to go ahead and, and, and you know, stake them and roast them out and get them in, in vacuum and freeze them. And when I grew up in Pennsylvania... Um, other than maybe early in archery season, it was always cold enough down in the cellar to hang a deer for a while. So we always hung a deer. You know, we'd, mm-hmm. we'd skin it and you'd hang it and you just let it hang. And you might let it hang for, for, for five days to seven days if the temperatures are cooperating. And it butchered so much nicer and it, it would start to get a little bit black. You're basically dry aging it. And you, yeah. It, and when you cut it, it, it just was so much easier to make really beautiful cuts. And I, if you're a butcher, butcher type person, so, you know, the, the thought of being able to do that again, because in Texas, it ain't happening. It's either freezing, right, or it's 70 yeah. degrees in winter, right? You, you, you live here now, I think, right? So, you yeah, know, yeah. we get like three days of like winter from Canada, you know, and then we get like spring and then we get like normal southern winter and then we get summer. And it's, so this is, it's just not happening here. But, you know, we're going pig hunting in February. I don't think I'll have a system built by then, but, um, you know, being able to bring the pig home whole and hang it and, and let that, you know, meat process, or even like when we cull ducks, being able to age those 
uh, hung, you know, so they got a full air circulation. All of that stuff together, you know, I make I make meads and, and, and not using my upstairs closet that's too warm to, to store my brewed meads anymore. All of yep. that stuff makes it so much more valuable to me than just the commercial component. And, and I think there's a lot of people out there like me. They would love to have a, a root cellar. Well, without dynamite, it ain't happening here. <laughs> but, but Why is that? I thought be... we would have them here. I was That was like my biggest no. disappointment. There's no root cellar, and my water conditioner is in the attic. What's going on here? You yeah, know? and I mean, even if you live somewhere here where you can dig a hole, like, you know, um, I, I'm sorry. Root cellar technology is a great thing. It just doesn't really work that well in a climate with, with multiple days in a row over 110 degrees. It's Correct. just not enough to actually be cool enough during the hot part of the year to do what you want. Um, so it's it, it, it's something I grew up with. I loved it. You know, I remember my grandmother's cellar. There was a giant crock of pickles down there all the time, and all her canned goods and and all kinds of stuff from from the little homestead they had. But it just doesn't work here. And I yes. think there's a lot of places where you know people used to build that because we didn't have electricity. Well, newsflash, we do now. And, and I'm all for passive whenever you can, but I'm also for what works and what you know works well. But the other thing is, building a root cellar, people think, well, you just dig a hole and it's cheap. It's not that inexpensive to construct a proper root cellar. I'd say that cost-wise, this probably, for what it does, is actually more cost-effective a lot of times. Correct. Yeah, and that's a good point. And um, it, you know, there's a seasonal aspect to it, and there's a geographical aspect to it, which was a huge wake-up call for me. Like, why isn't there a storm cellar? I thought everybody had one, and it's just not part of the. It's not part of the formula here. So having that tool to overcome it and the experience of you know what what will actually work and get your you know wh- wh- whatever your usage is going to be is is like it's part of the process, right? And that's just you can't make any assumptions. The good news is the tools are there to get it done if you're resourceful and you do your research. But, yeah, big disappointment. Where's my root cellar? That's going to be the title of the next podcast. Where's JB's root cellar? <laughs> well, especially in Texas where we have these tornadoes that come all the time. You're like, what, 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 what are you people thinking? I don't know. Between I go to clay see my, and rock, though, it's it's a difficult thing. I go me. to see the brothers-in-laws. My wife has a huge family, yeah. and I need I need an org chart to know how many brothers and sisters I have now. But when I go to Oklahoma City, they've got one in the garage that slides open, right? It's got a metal yeah. door. It slides open. It drops down. Yeah, there's a cool bot in there, and it's a wine cheese cave now, you know. But if awesome. his, his, his job was really easy. He yeah. just sprayed, he put some spray foam on the wall more for comfort than anything. Cause it, even out there in the summer, you know, if you're down six, eight feet and it's ready made, right? And yeah. like me, I've got to like build it. You know, I had to go yeah. to my buddy's garage and we had to insulate a central room inside and it was fun. Don't get me wrong, but I would have preferred to like, I got a root cellar. It sounds a lot better. You know, I got a <laughs> wine cave. It sounds a lot better than, you know, I got a room in the middle of a garage with my buddy's beer, you know, bubbling in there. So. <laughs> Uh, but the cool bot's in there and the beer was delicious. I got to tell you for first go around. I don't know if it was because we were just thirsty or not, but it was a good deal. So do you have any like specific stories like individuals that have taught you something about prepping sustainable living, uh, the potential for cool bot in, in serving, you know, kind of our movement? Yeah, I, there's a couple. And back to my earlier point of, you know, we talk about, you know, the maybe it's the woman who's leading the charge. And we uh, we try to do outreach. You know, we love to speak to people like yourself. We love to speak to people who are blogging and, you know, whether they're well-known or not, if they take the time to try to share a sustainable skill or their lifestyle, that means a lot to us because it's educational. So did a little outreach. And I was fortunate enough to uh, speak to Marissa uh, Wames, who's who's kind of a blogger. She's an author, uh, Northern Nevada, but she's like a home 
homesteader at heart, and it's all, it was all her, right? She's got everything from eggs to chickens to, um, you know, she's working on a, a root cellar, and now she's got a cool button. She's doing a project in conjunction with a friend. And I spent an hour on the phone with her, Jack, in you know, even after listening to your show, uh, was able to put so much together from the perspective of what that day to day life is, what that lifestyle is, uh, understanding that it's not keeping eight cases of water in the, in the closet, which is where, you know, my prepping ended. It's having the sustainable skill set to go find that water to make sure your family's eating to deal with fluctuations and what's going, if whether it's civil unrest or a natural disaster, whatever it is, it's really kind of irrelevant, right? And she, because I think, you know, she's a mom, she takes it so much more seriously. You know, with, you know how dads are, right? We're kind of like, oh, yeah, okay, like kid cut himself, you know, put up some scotch tape on it. Give me the stapler. Where's the yeah, swing get line? The stapler. My dad was a duct tape fan for whatever reason. I could have lost an arm as a kid. Duct tape would have been, you know, on. Um, but, yeah, and she was just amazing and kind of telling me her story on A to Z and then also realizing that that's not all she does but a big part of – how she's so good as, as that she is like a very involved member of society, a very functional person from a talent standpoint and doing all these things. And they just all converge when she's at home, you know, making sure there's food on the table, there's food in the root cellar, there's preparedness for a disaster or an economic fluctuation or any of the things that could come about that we kind of go straight to in our minds. Um, but she has a tremendous, you know, peace at ease with it because of the skill set she's developed. And it was an amazing, amazing piece. We'll be releasing that on our website and give her some kudos. Um, and then, you know, to double up on, you know, it's the gals that know what they're doing. Uh, the coastal homestead, uh, Amber Bradshaw actually bought a cool bot and we didn't seek her out. She bought one and, and made probably the least expensive functional, uh, food pantry powered by a cool bot we've seen. And it was looked like it was, you know, professionally done. And the way she was able to do it through some permaculture applications and some recycled materials, she, uh, for several hundred dollars and then the cool bot was able just to put this together and like it changed. You know, her family's economic model to a certain extent because it, you know, you, if you, if you don't need to, if you look at the amount of food you actually have to freeze, you know, it's not always that much. It's more about just the refrigeration. So if you, if we were all thinking in terms of a larger functional pantry that kept food from going bad, you know, your shopping's more effective, your backlog's more effective, your inventory's more effective, uh, you're less concerned about it for a couple of reasons, not just cost, but, you know, if there is power outages and those things are like, hey, I have a 10,000 BTU unit, I can run that on a little handheld Honda generator, right? Yeah. For weeks where if there's a major power outage, everything in my fridge is either going to go bad or the dog's going to be eating it within two days, you know, which is probably going to happen anyway. But because she's spoiled. So different kind of, different kind of issue, but it really just, it changed my, my whole outlook on things and putting that together with what I see on the show is like, oh, these people are just amazing. You know, I don't toss the word genius around lightly, but that's really where it is. It's just a combination of those skills and the preparation and understanding it. So, you know, those two ladies individually over the last 60 days have been awesome. Um, Nicholas Ferguson, Ken McGibbon, guys at Homegrown Liberty. Every time I talk to somebody, I just get 10 times smarter, you know. Uh, uh, Curtis Stone, the urban farmer, I mean, they're all – like in these areas of specialty, but are at heart, they're homesteaders, they're preppers, they're sustainable living specialists. They all get it. You know, they just don't need to fly the flag because they're living it. So it's pretty impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I look at it from a standpoint of how much flexibility it brings. Like, again, fermented foods. When you look at something like that, so people used to do that as a preservation method. 
But it right. is, it's, it's a limited, effective preservation method. It's not like you can make up some fermented escabeche and throw it on the shelf in the kitchen and leave mm -hmm. it there for two months. It, 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 it kind of goes downhill once it goes past a certain point of fermentation. The way you extend that storage used to be the root cellar. Correct. Well, all that is is bringing the temperature down. And, and frankly, you can bring the temperature down more in a CoolBot-driven cooler system than you can in, in you know most root cellars anywhere in the world, honestly, unless they're in Alaska or something. Uh, but, like, so an another thing I was thinking about with this, you mentioned, like, ease of installation. And I don't know if anybody's done this yet, but one of my thoughts was if someone by chance can find, like, an old commercial cooler that doesn't work anymore mm -hmm. and cut a hole in it, Right? Yeah. And pop an air kit. I mean, you're done, right? I mean, yeah. have you ever seen anybody manage to, to find one of those and do that? That is actually a good point and happening more and more. There's three things that are kind of come about the last year that I want to say are, I don't want to say they're fads, but trends because people are getting good at it. It's the, uh, go to the, 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 um, the commercial refrigerator boneyard, get that shipped for basically the metal scrap price, get it trucked home, pull off the old bad compressor, and then put a, uh, an air conditioner and a cool bot on it, and you've eliminated half your problem and probably done it cheaper because, um, you know, those panels are insulated. They last forever. It's the yep. compressor. The compressor takes a vacation at some point. doesn't come back, right? So, um, yeah, that's actually happening. And then another piece, which I found interesting, and this was kind of the hunting and some of the prepping and homesteading strategies were the uh, – the uh, the trailers the the freight trailers you know with the corrugated steel 20 40 feet um, people taking those realizing how sturdy they are dropping them on either on a deer lease or in a bug out location or even for like kind of a pseudo uh, weekend getaway going in there with spray foam insulation and tuning those up and using the cool bots as opposed to these roof mounted central ACs because with two 24,000 BT units two cool bots and that spray foam you're turning that thing into a pretty comfortable you know, know living quarters or a rest up place you know maybe one half's for your deer or maybe one half's to watch tv and movies when you're done at night but that's another big piece that's happening and getting real creative and then the mobile trailer piece you know everything from old ice cream trucks to where that insulation is like r50 you know it looks like the old ambulances the old ambulances and ice cream trucks look the same don't ask me why it's a little creepy but you find these folks that are getting these older vehicles with this r30 r35 insulation getting a small cool bot in there and either running it when they're static off a generator or an inverter off the engine and they're taking that thing down to right around freezing with no trouble and they love it right so for a small business who's got a transport or maybe it's a seed inventory or a fresh produce delivery it's a no-brainer because to put on a less than truckload on a bigger commercial company they're gonna they're gonna take you in the shorts for that kind of expenditure and that kind of transport so very contributory to a small business health perspective as well but yeah those are the three things i'm seeing and i expect jack to your point i expect a lot more of those refrigeration units the structures themselves just to be recycled and applied with cool bots i don't i don't see how it couldn't be it's ready made as much as we all want to build things ourselves even the very resourceful people look You know, there's a time versus expenditure. Do I work? Do I work harvesting or grabbing a deer, or can I get the cool bot set up and um, you know have it kind of drop shipped and be up and running in a couple hours versus a couple days? I think that's a huge advantage as well. So, going that route is always always an option. I, we are seeing it more and more. Uh, and I just on a lark, man. While you were talking there, I, I hit up Craigslist for walking coolers. No used 
burned out ones around here right now. But I found a company that basically does uh, custom walking coolers. You tell them what they want, you want, and they build it. Don't yep. know what they'll respond, but I just emailed them and said, do you guys sell will you sell just a shell without electronics? Yeah. I yeah. mean, if uh, they say yes to that, I mean, I might not be building one at all. Like that, yeah. put it right there. <laughs> Go away. Well, how are you going to – don't worry about how – well, actually, let me put you in touch with this guy, John. Um, yeah. Because that's the kind of strategic you know, uh, partnership that would make a lot of sense. Right. If you can find someone that will sell shells, mm -hmm. because the big money in those is in the electronics. There's a lot of complexity in those things. And it, Correct. You know, uh, or you find companies that, um, that that's what they do for a living. Well, a lot of times if you're bringing a new one, guess what? There's a crappy old one that has to go away, and the guy just gave up on it and said, I'm just going to replace the whole thing. So yeah. th that's a cool idea. What is what is the most unique use you've ever seen for one of these things? You know, that's an amazing question, and it's it's I always try to choose one of two or three stories, and I'll just I'll give you both because I think it's a human element that comes up. I would say once a month, Jack, we get a, like, a and our customers love us, right? Five star rated Amazon. We got more testimonials and YouTube videos than, you know, uh, a famous athlete or anyone who's, who's, you know, or, or someone who's on their own reality show. People just love us. So we get these testimonials and once a month I find myself going, I never would have thought of using it that way. So there's been two cases and they have nothing to do with our core businesses, but one, um, uh, was a, a gentleman who has, a I believe it was MS and he was in an apartment um, and obviously facing struggles and he was just in poor guy was in discomfort. Um, he did find that if he could drop the temperature, you know, significantly in his sleeping space, he rested much more comfortably the inflammation in his joints and the, the, the horrible things that came along with it were uh, helped out. Now he had a basic window air conditioner, so he had the same problem everybody else does. It was capping at 60 and just running up his bill. And on a whim, he took a cool bot, hooked it up and did a little bit of modifications to a room. And, uh, he sent the, the, the most amazing message of I'm, I'm sleeping so well. I, I feel better. You know, this is, means a lot to me, right? <laughs> You're just like, you, know, you get like four guys in ties crying at the same time. You know, it's either really good news or someone's passed away. And it was really good news. We were all just so like, Oh, amazing. You know, if we did nothing else, right? Uh, and then, uh, along the same lines, believe it or not, elderly pets tend to be very sensitive to the heat even if we don't pick up on it right because of their the way they process heat we can go sweat and get all stinky and get you know bed hair and wander around the house till the wife throws a rock at you and says take a shower but you know elderly pets who you know i, don't, I know you are i mean i'm a dog person my dog is uncomfortable i'm feeling bad and people uh, several people saying that they've kind of made special spaces with the air conditioner whether it's in a, a larger dog house or just a place in the home to keep their their animals comfortable and you know in living later in life and avoiding you know trips to the vet and those things and that was like man hadn't there was never a thought of that when the cool bot was invented but i can tell you that everybody was like how cool is that you know how awesome is that that those kinds of things come out of a device that you know is is designed to to, to brew beer you know and now you've got people saying they're dealing you know they're helping with health issues or maybe it's it's easier for elderly folks or elderly pets it's just it's been wonderful actually and the more of those we get we we just make the most out of them because they're great stories so what are you guys planning on like as, as the future? I know that you mentioned this is like the current generation of Kewlbot, so yeah. it's, not, it's not the one that, that was made back in 2006. It's continued to get better. What kind of research, development, things like that are y'all doing? 
Yeah, we're doing a few things, and, and you actually touched on one of them. There's two. Uh, our customers love us. We just did a net promoter score survey, and we scored like an 87, which basically means we should charge more, I guess. I don't know. But um, the uh, the the overwhelming responses, and there wasn't – most people say love it, do it as is, but we realize those are the DIY folks, right? There's mostly saying, look, I can do it all myself. What comes up a lot is a request for a, a phone app that would either relay an alarm on the door being opened, which is a limitation. You don't want to go opening the door on your cool box cooler, you know, the way you would on a commercial cooler because you're using less firepower to cool it down and it can provide a delay in getting you there. And then, um, you know, knowing what the temperature is inside the same way you want to monitor your nest thermostat if that's the case. So it's more of a measure of convenience, but we get a pretty steady request of, hey, I'd love to have Wi-Fi and check on my phone and know that if I'm on a trip, if my wine cellar is up a couple degrees, I'd want to be able to fix that or have someone walk in and adjust it. Uh, and then the turnkey solution that you referenced, you know, isn't it better to go this route and we had a, about 20% of our clientele said, hey, I'd love to have a turnkey solution. If I can get that structure powered by a cool bot and an air conditioner and have it come ready made, I'm eliminating quite a few things. One, I'm eliminating the build. I'm still getting the green efficiency of a less consumption on the on the electric bill. I'm saving money on the install and I can kind of get it put up and running in a few hours with Chemlock panels because they're they're still the same quality insulation like an R29 panel that you would buy on a new commercial cooler just with the the revolutionary engine that saves you a buck and makes it easy and all those other benefits we talked about. I think those are the two primary things coming down the pipe. Um, and a lot of the a lot of the time we spend talking is how do we do that? How do we do it well? And how do you, how do we deliver that in line with client expectations? Right, which is always important. You don't just want to put the first thing out there that's uh, you know available on online. But you know we've we've got some good data, and I think our clients, a good portion of them, would benefit tremendously from those existing clients as well as potential new clients. So what what is the capability um, of this thing? Let's say you know I build let's say um, an eight by ten something like that. Uh, what can I expect to be able to do as far as and and what kind of horsepower do I need in an air conditioner for something about that size? Yeah, it, and and we do a really good job of like pre-qualifying. You can call and talk to one of our sales engineers, and they're happy to design with you. And they'll ask you, hey, what are you using it for? How big is it? So you need to be this cold. Where do you live? Is it a flat surface? And a lot of that's on our site, or they can call in. Uh, if you're going an 8 by 10 room, and let's just say you want to go the most radical thing, which may be brewing beer, you want to be at 34 degrees, you want to be at least at our 25 insulation, uh, you probably want to have a fifteen to eighteen thousand BTU unit, depending where you're locating it, inside or out. Um, and you would be down in the low thirties, probably within forty-five minutes with no traffic. You know, and the only caveat is make sure you insulate the floor. You'd be surprised how many people do all this hard work, put it outside, don't insulate the floor, and they wonder why it's not staying cold. <laughs> <laughs> Believe yeah. me, I I learned quickly on on the build I did with my buddy. The floor is what we call the cold vampire. Especially if it's over straightaway concrete, it just sucks it right out. You know, if you're doing a wine cellar, it's not that bad because you're, fu- you're you're functioning fifty fifty five. But if you want to do something cool like a, hang a deer and age that meat and keep it consistent and not have fluctuations in temperature, where you know with meat, even a degree up or down a couple times a day, that can affect a quality piece of meat, right? You're changing sure. the changing the enzymatic response in that. So we're sensitive to that. So we want to over engineer and overbuild and and do all those things. But yeah, you, you get an eight by ten, fifteen, eighteen thousand BTU unit with the right insulation. 
insulation, which it will make sure you do, you're down within an hour to where you can start hanging things in there. And it's, it's pretty awesome, right? And people are like, can I do that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you can do that. Just don't leave the door open, you know, put a door closer on there. And, um, it, it's, it's pretty impressive. It happens quick. So the capability is quick. I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, in developing countries, and you've got some experience with this because I listened to your, your show, and you, you've touched on some stuff on like, hey, look, the great news is, is we have access to a lot of things in this country to make this stuff happen on our own. You know, other countries where there's virtually no grid um, and, and you know, uh, very little infrastructure, and try going to a, a Home Depot or even procuring materials that we would consider permaculture for construction of projects not readily available in developing countries. So we have, uh, you know, we have uh, a a classic down in Honduras where we run an operation through USAID where we, you know, we're, we're helping to spread the Coolbot technology because they just don't have that kind of, you know, capability. And there's a, a room that's, I think, 20 by 20 that you would come into the United States and you would go spend 40 grand on a, a commercial system just to keep it cool. And it's an agricultural storage room. So if it doesn't hold, people aren't going to eat. Well, it's, there's eight air conditioners in there at 18,000 BTUs each and they have eight cool bots hooked up. They're all set at the same temperature and you walk into that thing and you wouldn't know. And the, the amazing thing is it's still more efficient from an energy perspective and it was still a much easier install than going out and dealing with the big bad commercial system. So, you know, not just from a human element, not just from a post-harvest element, but like the ability to do that, right, is pretty impressive. So, uh, yeah, you, 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 we, we like to, we like the multi-unit setups because it's always nice to put a cool bot at one end of a bigger room and just set them at the same temperature and watch them go. It's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, that was a, a thing that I had thought of. And then you're back to, like, even with a maybe not that radical of a build, but, you know, uh, two units, <laughs> if one fails, one's still running. Right, I mean, right. That's, that's a two is one and one is none. That's, that's kind of interesting there. But I mean, I, I was checking out uh, Amazon. Your reviews are great. And of course, everybody, no matter how great they are, they always have a few negative reviews. And as I looked at some of the negative reviews, I'm like, well, you're an idiot. Because you guys, what I was impressed with when, when I got that unit from you and I went to your site and started researching, like, what's this going to cost me? How am I going to build it? Was you're so specific with your specifications, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and this is what you need if this is what you want to do. And you read a negative review, and some moron has taken like a, a like a mini 4800 BTU air conditioner, and he's trying to cool like an eight by twelve with it, and he's mad because he can't get it below 50 degrees. Mm-hmm. Well, number one, you're an idiot because you didn't read <laughs> what to do. But number two is, I, I'll bet you if you did that, you're sitting on an uninsulated floor on top of it. And you're Probably. lucky the damn thing gets you to 50 degrees. Right. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. Because, and I think that's what's important for people to understand with this. It's, it, I would say this is one of those things that's like magic. It's, what it does is like magic. But it's not freaking magic. You're going to have to follow the, the rules and the specs. And like what I was blown away with when you sent me that, you're like, here's your engineer's name. Anything you need in your build, talk to him. Mm-hmm. Like, hold it. So the support to me is as valuable and the specs are as valuable as the device. Because there's right. so many companies that have great product, but their support is shit. Right? It is, yeah. If you're an engineer, sure, you can go nuts. With it. Here's an Adreno. Great. What do I do with it? Well, you can do all this stuff with it. How? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. 
go to Makerspace and ask somebody or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> we, we don't want anyone Googling CoolBot support. It's just, it's not that complex. And we actually, you know, it's funny is we were, when we first came in, I was talking, I'm like, hey, you know, I'm a sales guy, Jack. So I'm like, don't say anything that's going to make people not buy. And like one of the leads on our website is why you should not buy a CoolBot. I'm like, you can't say that. And they're like, no, <laughs> it's actually the culture of the company. You yeah. know, if people shoot over this, then we can't help. But yeah, it's usually AC compatibility, which we've done volumes to clear up, not just on the website, but in support documents that we send out. So it's like, again, that falls back to your worst case scenario of like, just go buy a new air conditioner. And we actually are working to make it very easy to buy the right kind of air conditioner when you buy the CoolBot through a link. Not that we're selling them at this point, but just to kind of eliminate that. Here's the uh, makes, uh, I saw that too. Here's the makes, like, it'll work with just about anything that fits this, but here are recommended units and, and what got me like another one of your low reviews by another idiot on amazon is a person that was mad that it only works with with uh air conditioners with digital displays mm. well it didn't say that it didn't do that. it didn't it didn't say that it did the other thing it says very specifically this is what you need mm. and, so, and and i applaud that when, when and i applaud don't buy us if Right, I, I really, and you know, I know that, that former sales guy myself goes against the grain, but I don't want unhappy customers. I don't want somebody to buy something that doesn't work for them. And you know, it does really great stuff. And if you want any of those great things, and you're willing to do the the DIY portion of it, or you know, acquire a shell or something, then buy this. But if you want something to, uh, I don't know, to, to hold temperatures of 25 degrees. Well, you don't want this. That's not what this. This doesn't freeze. It cools. Right. And, and I think there's people that I don't know. I call it like the, the microwave generation, right? Yeah. They, they just expect once once they come up with their own idea of what it should do instead of reading what the company says it does. And, and the reason I call it the microwave generation is I remember when I was a little kid, my grandmother worked at this diner. I had to be like first grade, somewhere in that range, and. I was going to spend the night with her. So my, my mom basically drops me off at this diner she works at, and I'm going to just hang out at the diner until Grandma's shift is over in about an hour with her. And she goes, do you want a piece of apple pie? Well, what freaking kid doesn't want a piece of apple pie unless he's yeah, allergic to apples, right? Is this, is this a trick question? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I want a piece of apple pie. She goes, w w do you want it warm? How long is it going to take? She says, not long. I'm like, sure. So she pulls the pie. You know, it's one of those things with the pies going in a circle in the you know, mm -hmm. old diner. She pulls it out. She goes back. She comes back. It was like 15, 20 seconds. There's my pie, and it's like steaming hot. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, how did – you know, I, I don't even understand. She goes, oh, it's called a microwave. Right. And see, when I got that piece of pie hot in thir you know, 15, 30 seconds, I was, wow. And, and people – and it used to be really wowed by technology. And now they're like, well, they don't, they don't get anymore what it takes to innovate and go to like the, the next level. And, right. and it, so it's important for companies to be very clear. This is what it does. This is what it doesn't do. And like I said, you guys do a great job of that. Thank you. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, <laughs> by the way, I owe you a thank you for being the other guy who actually uses the phrase two is one and one is none because I dropped that on my boss and he, <laughs> he thought I was talking about like a quota or some sort of loan. And I'm like, no, everything in life, the whole homesteading, prepping, law enforcement, those people all say this all the time. Yeah. Trust me, it's, it's a legitimate, you know, it, it's about redundancy and contingencies and everything you do. And it like will save your life in one form or another, whether it's financially um, or whether 
whether it's from a food storage standpoint or whether it's a life safety issue that comes out when you're just, you know, trying to come home and something happens. I mean, trust me, you know, I, it's always the, the first responders and the homesteaders. And I hear that a lot. And I got looked at for just being completely insane when I said it. But now I'm just going to keep saying it and I'm dropping your name every time I do. So I get some validity behind it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, that certainly didn't originate here. You're, you, you know, you're dead on about that. Stephen Harris and I did get kind of crazy with it. How far could it go? It was like, Two is one, one is none, three is for me, four is even more, five is five keeps you alive, and we, I think we went up to like twelve or something. But <laughs> that, that should—that's going to replace the twelve days of Christmas yeah. song for me. You know, we should do year. that next year. That the 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 twelve—I don't know what we call it for Christmas next year. It'd be kind of cool. Yeah, I think we should do that. That would be fun. We could co-author that and then uh, make it a, a funny bit on one of the shows around the holidays. I'll commit to that. That's for sure. That'd be fun. So, uh, if people want to get a cool bot, you know. Where should they go if they want, you know, to, to find out about, you know, all this stuff we're talking about? Like, does it work for me? Keep giving your website and, and, and what other resources you guys have. Sure. I, I always say start with the website because it's, it's radically improved and getting better all the time and more and more demo feature type of thing because the Coolbot comes with a project which always requires a story to give somebody the full flavor of it. And there's so many testimonials and the build guide on our website, which is just www.storeitcold.com. And then if you cool to you Coolbot on YouTube, you're going to find some very impassioned customer videos and there will be at least one of something you want to do, whether it's a, a hunting type of uh, arrangement, whether it's a farmer, whether it's a, f a wholesale florist, whether it's somebody making cheese, uh, whether it's, you know, somebody who, who wants to do something from a beverage perspective, either a tap room or brewing. We really get away without having to spend a lot on, on advertising from a demonstration standpoint because our customers, you know, there's pride when you work on a cold room. There's pride when you build something of that magnitude and they, you know, we double their warranty if they send us anything. So, you know, cheap way for us to get these amazing videos. And uh, I would start with those two elements. And, you know, my, my email is real simple. It's john at storeitcold.com. So if there's just a question that's just not answered, if I can't get you an answer within 15 minutes, you know, one of our amazing support staff, you know, Freddie Remolina, Uh, Patty Parsons, Katie Eifert Miller. I mean, just they could engineer a they could engineer a cool bot keeping the president cool in Air Force One at a lot cheaper than whatever <laughs> those people intend to spend on that. I guarantee it. They, I haven't gotten them yet on something they couldn't pull off if the client was willing to do it. So I'm trying. It's like trying to stump them, and there's no way. So um, you know, again, use my email directly after you've checked out those resources, and you'll there's certainly no answer that's too far or more than a few minutes from being uh, being taken care of. Well, I appreciate it, John. I really enjoyed having you on the show today. I'm looking forward to doing my build. I, I actually already heard back from the dude on uh, Craigslist, and it sounds encouraging because he says what's he didn't say yes or no to my question. What he said is, "What size are you interested in?" Um, so we'll 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 see what he comes back with. I mean, that'd be an awesome thing if you could buy, uh, you know, a stripped down new shell. Man, yeah, you, you know, even a couple grand, or whatever. I mean, you're you're into that for parts with something like a, an eight by ten. So we'll, we'll we'll keep you posted on that. I was hoping that maybe they'd be really on the ball and I'd have a definitive answer. Uh, yeah, but they're clearly here in Dallas too. So if this works out, I'll hook you up with them. Yeah, if that works out too, let's let's chronicle your chronicle your build and let's let us do a story on you for a change, right? Because yeah. that 
you know, I'd love to see you one all uh, all sweaty and hanging out of a cooler, but two, if it's up and running, I know you're going to be happy, and then I can I can keep stealing taglines from you like two for one and one is none. So we we'd be happy to do that. Great social media department who a lot of people out there would enjoy the show aren't aware of it. So let us share that content and and grow the Spirico network, which has certainly been rewarding for us. And and you know, as selfish as we are, and want to sell cool bots. There's a lot of information that comes out of these sessions that are just awesome all the way around. So um, honored to be part of that anything we could do very appreciative jack oh man uh i really enjoyed our show our our, our talk today john and i appreciate you being with us i uh, appreciate that thank you so much jack take care everybody shoot me an email if you need anything all right folks that was it was a really cool interview the dumb thumb pun not intended i didn't even think about it till i said it there uh but anyway i enjoyed that i'm literally looking forward to doing my cool bot build a little piece of information here at the end And I mean, this just happened after, uh, after John got off the phone with me. I, I heard back from that guy on Craigslist and I was thinking the price of his walk-in coolers are, are pretty damn low to begin with. I wonder if, and uh, he emailed me back and he gave me the same price and said, we're already building them with cool bots. So you could just buy it from us. Well, I don't know if that's going to work out for me. I've got my AC, I've got my cool bot and I may just self-build or find a different shell because it doesn't seem like this guy wants to sell just a shell. Uh, but he's he's pricing a 10 by 10 walk-in cooler delivered to your site installed for 41.40, and he's using the Coolbot to do it, and he's obviously making a profit because he's not in business to uh, to uh, you know to, to do charity work. So if you price a commercial 10 by 10 walk-in cooler, that's a, that's a crush it price. So I imagine he's getting quite a bit of business in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. That's something that, you know, any one of you out there might consider an opportunity as well. And, you know, that's good for Coolbot, too, to develop that kind of a sales channel. So I've already put, connected John and this individual together. And while it may not work out for me, it may be beneficial to them. There's a lesson in business there. Um, when you have a business... And you have an opportunity to help someone else in a business do it because it always, and I mean absolutely always, comes back to you. On that note, if you like our show and the work that we do and you want to help support us, in addition to the members brigade that you hear about in the front of the show, here on the back end of the show, I'd like to remind you about T-SPAS. This is how you can do your shopping at Amazon, not spend a single penny more than you would have anyway, and support our show. It doesn't even really take any more time. Instead of typing in Amazon, type in T-SPAS, T-S-P-A-Z, T-SPAS.com. Go there, do your Amazon shopping, and then you don't have to do anything else. doesn't cost you anything, really, and you can help us. So if you want to support our show, that's probably the most passive way to do it. Many of you buy stuff on Amazon all the time. You know, put a little shortcut on your on your phone to go to tspaz.com. You go there, click on the link, it'll open the Amazon app if you're using the app, do your shopping, and we get credit for your, your stuff. I also put up a review every day on Amazon.com. On Amazon.com, on the survivalpodcast.com and TSPAS, of an item that we use ourselves in our home uh, that you can acquire on Amazon. Today is Frontier Organic Lemon Pepper. Uh, you, you know me, when it comes to seasonings and spices and stuff like that, I believe in buying in bulk. And I'm not going to say that every herb and seasoning that we use is, is organic. Because sometimes we don't, right? It depends on cost, availability, and things like that. Lemon pepper is made with the zest of a lemon. That's the outside of the peel part. Yeah, I'm not doing that unless it's organic. Because the citrus industry sprays the crap out of their trees. 
And, of course, it's the outside of the, the food product. And they don't really tend to think of the outside as a food product. It's a byproduct of industrial processing. So it's one of those things that I absolutely require that it be organic because that rind is just a sponge that's, that, that sucks up and protects the inner fruit. You want to try something cool to see what I mean by that. Take a, take a lemon or a lime and zest it. Don't cut it. Just zest it and sit it on the shelf. And then take another one that you didn't zest and sit on the shelf next to it. Wait three days. It, it's, it's weird how that little that little outside protective barrier. Because you're, you're not peeling it. You're just taking that yellow part off. The, 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 the one that you've done it to will be like a hard like a rock. There won't be any juice left in it. It's, it's craziness. So think about what that's containing, and that's why I recommend an organic product for this. This is inexpensive. It's, it's about $16, bucks, I think, for uh, a pound, a pound of lemon pepper. Now, you, you know, it's actually $19.42 with free shipping uh, from Frontier. That's the, the only bulk organic lemon pepper I've been able to find, and this is good stuff. Um, of course, you know me. If I'm going to give you an, a, an ingredient, I'm going to give you a recipe that uses that ingredient. I've actually released something today on T-Spaz, and this is why you should go to T-Spaz and see the item of the day, even if you're not going to buy it, because I give away education and information, and how to cook is valuable. This is my lemon pepper herbed chicken marinade. And it is something I worked on a very long time to get bang on. And this stuff is bang on. You might find yourself addicted if you use it. I'll give you the ingredients on the air, but you can just go to T-Spaz and, and get a, you know, print them out and, and be able to use them. And I give you a lot of instructions with this too. But it uses a third of a cup of olive oil, the juice and zest of one lemon. Okay, so use an organic lemon, okay? Um, two ounces of white wine, two teaspoons of rice wine vinegar, two teaspoons of lemon pepper, uh, one teaspoon of sugar, one teaspoon of salt, half teaspoon each of onion powder and garlic powder, paprika, rosemary, and basil. So it's a half teaspoon of each of those. About one tablespoon of mustard, or as much as you need to emulsify. What's that mean? I'll tell you in a second. And then skinless, boneless chicken works best for this. You can marinate anything in it, really. But but it really, I, just, I developed it for... A, a skinless, boneless chicken cutlet or thigh cutlet or a breast cutlet. So what the heck do I mean by emulsify? Well, there's olive oil in this, and then there's lemon juice, white wine, rice wine vinegar, okay? What happens when you put basically water-based liquids with oil? They separate. There's certain things out there. Some are dairy, some are egg-based, etc., that are what are called emulsifiers. And they will allow two things that normally won't mix and stay mixed to mix and stay mixed. In fact, mayonnaise, mentioned eggs, is an emulsification. That's a, It's basically oil and egg. But if you just take oil and egg and put it together, they don't stay together. They have to be mixed and emulsified together. So you can take oil and water, and you can shake it until your brain's ready to pop, and as soon as you stop shaking it, what happens? It separates, and there's a nice little line in there. Well, we can't have that in a marinade if we want to get everything into the meat uniformly. So we use a little mustard as an emulsifier. So you take all those ingredients I just gave you, and if you make a big batch, you double them. You put it in a ball jar, you know, a canning jar. And then you put the lid on it and you shake the crap out of it. And then you look at it. And you give it about a minute to see if it separates. If it doesn't separate, you've emulsified it. If it starts to separate, give it a little bit more mustard. Your mustard is the magic. It does the emulsification. I don't want a lot of mustard flavor in this, so I start with about a tablespoon. And if for some reason the, 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 the emulsifying gods aren't happy that day and he needs a little bit more, we use just enough to get it to emulsify. Once it's shaken up, take all your chicken, put it, put it in a plastic bag, dump that stuff in there, and close your bag, push the air out, and then kind of 
massage it all into your chicken. Take a bowl or a pan or something like that, put it in there, stick it in the refrigerator. Why? So if the bag leaks, and sometimes they do, you don't have a nasty mess in your refrigerator. And then leave it overnight. And every once in a while, when you open a refrigerator you know, to get something out or get a beer or something, take it out, massage it, flip it over on the other side so it gets a good uniform marination. When you're ready to cook it, this is important. This is actually a very important part of this. You've marinated this in a lot of oil. There's a lot of water in chicken. We do not want a lot of moisture in our pan when we fry this if we want it to brown and be all of the wonderful things it can be. So what we're going to do is we're going to lay some paper towels out, paper towels out, a couple layers of paper towels. And then we're going to take our cutlets or our whole chicken or whatever we're doing, we're going to take it out of the bag and we're going to set it on the paper towel. We don't want a whole bunch of this stuff right in there. Now, if you have a bunch left in the bag, that's fine. Set it aside. We can, we can play with that in a little bit. Remember, there's been raw chicken in it, though. Let it sit on the paper towel. Flip it over. Let it sit on the paper towel. Give it about 10, 15 minutes to start to come up to temperature and kind of get sticky and, and dry up. And then you get your pan nice and hot and drop them in and fry them. If you're cooking it and it starts to get a lot of oil or moisture in the pan... Hold your chicken down, take it out, do whatever you got to do, dump that out. It should be a fairly dry fry. If you do that, you're going to get a nice golden brown on this. A little bit of sugar in there is going to caramelize. This is gorgeous. It's going to be the moistest chicken you've ever eaten. The flavor is freaking fantastic. Go make this tonight. If you have lemon pepper already, use the stuff you have, you know, and, and give it a shot. I'll give you a couple things that you can do with it beyond this. If you want to use this on fish, remember we talked about fish yesterday, and you want to marinate fish with this, it's fantastic. Do not put the lemon pepper in it, because the lemon rind has some acids in it. Um, uh, do not put the lemon juice in it. Reserve your lemon pepper and your lemon juice for until the end. Marinate it, let it sit. Fish doesn't need anywhere near long to marinate a few hours. Take it out. When you take it out, then... Hit it with the lemon pepper and just squeeze some lemon juice over it right as you put it into the pan. So hit it with your lemon pepper on both sides and then just give it a little bit of lemon juice as you cook it. And it makes fish fantastic. If you put the lemon juice in the marinade, and you could even put the lemon pepper in the marinade, it won't hurt anything. But if you put the lemon juice in the marinade with this, it will actually start to cook the fish ceviche style, right? So the other thing you can do is just, just eliminate the lemon juice and put the lemon on your fish after you cook it. But it makes fantastic fish if you do it that way and it is actually really good with pork cutlets as well but it was designed for chicken and i swear you it will blow you away the first time you make it how moist that chicken comes out and how much flavor it has and the beautiful golden brown you get on you can grill it too it works really good on the grill and you will have a lot less of an issue with the extra moisture on the grill because of course it'll drip down the grill uh, but either way, I, I've grilled it, I've fried it, sautéed it, you name it. It just comes out dynamite, absolute dynamite. Lemon pepper at T-Spaz, and now you know what to do with it. And remember always, whenever you're thinking about you know stocking up on herbs and spices and stuff like that, see what the pound price is, see if you can get it in organic, see what the difference between organic and conventional is. If it's not that much, go organic whenever you can. Buy it in bulk, throw it in little ball jars, like a little half pint size, seal them up with your vac sealer, Stick them in the pantry, and when you need a new one, now you're storing what you eat and eating what you store with things beyond just the food, but also the ingredients. Well, last but not least today, I have today's song of the day for you. 
And I, I decided to do something a little bit different with Song of the Day for I don't know how long. We'll see how long we run this. Definitely through the World War II years we're going to do this. I thought, what was the number one hit song in 1938? And I'm sure it's not the kind of music that I rock out to or, or what have you, but you know, it would be interesting if we listened to it. And I, So I looked it up, and it's a song called Begin the Begin, and it was done by a guy named Artie Shaw, and it's, a, it's an instrumental. And it, it, it sounds like what you would expect music from 1938 to sound like. And I remember listening to this, and I remember thinking of my grandfather, the one on my, on my mother's side, the guy that was a, a warrant officer in the Army during World War II. And I remembered him listening to music like this. And they had one of the old Victrolas, the floor models, was like bigger than a TV just for a radio and a, and a record player. And I remember them having, like, the this, this stations used to still play this, the you know, oldies, right? So you're talking about the 70s, and they're playing music from the 30s and 40s, Lawrence Welk and stuff like that. And I remember him listening to that music. And I always remember thinking about that music as being music that old people listen to. But if it was the number one song in 1938, it wasn't that old people were listening to. It was that everybody was listening to. People our age and younger. This is the music they listen to. And I want you to think about this. This is the dawn of World War II. We're, we're, the war officially starts next year in the history segment. And listen to music evolve and change over the years. And we'll see how far. I'm, I'm thinking about doing it all the way to the end of the history segment. To make my job easier, I wouldn't have to pick out a song. But it, what's interesting is you get this music and you're like, I could listen to it. It's not my style. It starts to get better. It starts to evolve. You see America changing with its music. And it's pretty decent up through the 70s and the 80s and even the 90s. The music that's number one in like the, like the late 2000s getting up to today? Ugh, what has happened to us? I don't know if I can do it, but I'd love to hear from you. Listen to this and think about just the, the musical journey traveling from 1930 up 30, 1938 all the way up to 2017 with the Billboard number one song. If you'd like me to do that, let me know. If you're like, hell no. Or maybe if you're like, you know what, bring it up to like 1995 and stop. Whatever you think, let me know in the show notes today. And with that, this is Artie Shaw with Begin the Begin. And this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.